crimes of the Israeli government, but the Zionist movement itself, which of course exists, uh, and uh, the, the condition of its existence is that it helps to support and launder the image of, 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 of the Israeli government's activities. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman. And I'm Asa Winstanley. And welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman with Asa Winstanley. Before we go to this episode, um, which is a wonderful interview with David Miller, um, Asa, you had a little update um, of uh, news that happened between the time we recorded this interview with David and up till now. Yes, that's right. So since we shot this episode with David, I published an article which directly relates to issues that he talks about in the interview. So later on in the interview, you hear him talking about two QC's reports, which a QC is just a fancy British name for a lawyer, basically. Um, so he's talking about two two separate reports by a British lawyer, which both exonerated him of anti-Semitism. So I have obtained one of those so uh, and I wrote about it and it does, as 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 David says in the interview, it does exonerate him of anti-Semitism. It says, in fact, that he has no case to answer for anti-Semitism. So not only did it examine the claims, but did it did the, the lawyer examine the claims, but actually says that he should never have had to answer for these claims at all because they're baseless. So definitely after you've watched the interview, check out that article. Um, um, it's titled David Miller was cleared of anti-Semitism leaked document shows you can or you can just google electronic intifada David Miller and it should come up as the latest article we'll also have a link to that on the podcast blog post um, that accompanies this so without further ado let's go to the interview with it we did with David Miller welcome to the electronic intifada podcast We're here today with David Miller, who until earlier this month was a sociology professor at the University of Bristol. David is an academic expert on the Israel lobby and has published many valuable reports over the years. He founded Spinwatch and its brilliant online database, Powerbase. Bristol University fired him on the 1st of October following a long campaign against him by the Israel lobby. Uh, in its announcement of the firing, Bristol gave no specific reason for the sacking, saying only that, quote, he did not meet the standards of behaviour we expect from our staff. But the reality is that following the downfall of their previous target, Jeremy Corbyn, pro-Israel campaigners had made David their public enemy number one, especially since the start of this year. They smeared him, his research, and his teaching as anti-Semitic due to the fact that he opposes Zionism, Israel's racist official ideology. Um, So we're going to talk about all that, and we're going to talk about the campaign against him and the reality behind it today on the Electronic Intifada podcast. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So firstly, how are you doing, and have you had a lot of support since you were fired? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, this, it's, a, it's a pretty major thing to go through um, having been uh, uh, in academ- academia for, I think, three decades um, I have been, and to one morning just be told that's it, and uh, I, 
they didn't quite tell me to clean my desk by the evening, but they cut off my email um, by the evening, um, disabled my card and, uh, to access the building, etc. So I'm now an ex-academic, uh, unless, um, of course, my appeal, which uh, is uh, due within 28 days of the, the sacking, uh, results in me being reinstated. Um, uh, I don't have a great deal of optimism about that, but uh, we'll certainly go through the process of an appeal. And then, of course, there are other legal options uh, available after that, which may take some time. So I, I'm, I'm feeling fine, really, uh, given all that's happened. And uh, yes, there's been a lot of support. Uh, I noticed that there's a, some, uh, someone's created a, um, a petition in my support, which seems to have over 22 or 23,000 signatures in a couple of days, two, three days, which uh, I'm a little bit surprised by, mm. uh, pleasantly surprised by. Uh, and I've had, of course, lots of messages from people and uh, I see there's been lots of activity online and uh, offline as well, which I'm aware of uh, in, in the union, etc. So, uh, I'm, you know, I'm buoyed up by that, of course, but uh, uh, it's, it's not a pleasant uh, uh, situation to be in and it's a real victory for um, for the Zionists, for the Zionist movement, to be able to remove an academic. I, I mean, I genuinely didn't think that this was going to be possible. Um, uh, but uh, here we are, it is. I I mean, that, that weekend that you got fired, I actually got contacted by lots of people who were a bit shocked, you know, who I got texts by people saying, did you know this was going to happen? Um, and um, I had to reply saying, sadly, yeah, I suspected it would. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, like you said, it is definitely a quite a big victory for them. Um, it's, uh, it's a really difficult situation. Sure. David, talk a little bit about your work um, investigating the Israel lobby, uh, how you began investigating it, and and what you know what it's led you to. Okay, well, there's a long version and a short version of the story, so I'm going to try and um, go somewhere in between the two of those. I mean, I started um, in research in the 80s, doing a PhD on the Northern Ireland conflict, and you might think that's got no relevance, but um, that's one of the things which. Uh, when it came to the moment of uh, starting to do work on Israel and Palestine, that I, you know, I, I got a lot from that work. That work was on propaganda and the media, so I got a lot from that work uh, just on that theme of, of propaganda, but also perhaps more importantly from the question of, of um, understanding the Northern Ireland conflict in relation to settler colonialism. Now, I, I did a book uh, in 1998 called Rethinking Northern Ireland, and I had a very, I was the editor and I had a very long chapter, which I allowed through the editorial process um, because I was the editor, which is set, sets out the way of, of understanding the conflict in the north of Ireland as being uh, a, um, about colonialism and actually about settler colonialism. The, the settler colony in the north of Ireland bears really very remarkable similarities to the conflict uh, over Palestine. Yeah. And so I, uh, that, that, that's been something which has certainly informed my approach to to this whole issue. And this is an interesting thing, isn't it? That, uh, you know, one of the things that the Zionists say is, oh, well, they pick out Israel and they, they, they demonize it and they delegitimize it. Uh, and they, and they, they, um, they use double standards. They don't say the same thing about any other country. Uh, and that's, just, of course, that's the phrase, of course, the 3D phrase from uh, Anatoly <laughs> Sharansky yeah. from back in the early 2000s. And, and of course, 
that's not the case. You know, we don't think that settler colonialism is just something which affects uh, Palestine. We th- we think it effect- has affected lots of other places, of course. You know, most obviously South Africa, but also Algeria and the north of Ireland, and indeed those other places in the world where we don't think of settler colonialism anymore because the natives were entirely exterminated. So Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Australia, uh, America, etc. Now, these so these these are obvious parallels with what's happening uh, in Palestine, uh, and yet um, people tend not tend to shy away from making those kind of comparisons. But they are comparisons which undermine the whole rhetoric of uh, of the Zionists on on, on BDS and on delegitimization, etc. Because it shows that this is a this is not an aberration. This is not because of some terrible quality of the Jews. To, to get involved in settler colonialism. This is absolutely straightforwardly what happens in settler colonialism. So uh, there's something which, which I, I've take, taken from my earlier work, uh, in addition to the work, the stuff in propaganda, which has really informed uh, a lot of my understanding of the conflict uh, over Palestine. So to take it forward several years, I mentioned a book in 1998, which uh, seems an eon ago now. Ancient I mean, I started history. really becoming interested in um, Israel-Palestine uh, I mean, I, I'd always, you know, known about it in the, back, my, the background. I mean, when I was a student in the, the 80s, we had a Palestinian president of our students' union and the, the University of Glasgow was twinned with Beersight University. And there was a, you know, there was a strong sense of the, the Palestinian struggle being one of a number of struggles which people wanted to express solidarity with. South Africa was another, El Salvador, Nicaragua, etc. Um, but I hadn't really ever become uh, sort of involved or interested in it in research terms. And it was only when I started to do work on the neoconservative movement in the aftermath of the Iraq war, I'd done work on the Iraq war on propaganda, a book, um, I think you can perhaps see the cover of it behind my shoulder called Tell Me Lies, which we published in 2004. And after that, I went on to do some work on the neoconservative movement. And in particular, the this the the role of the neoconservative movement or the existence of the neoconservative movement uh, in Europe, uh, not just in the UK but in other European countries. We had a project called Neocon Europe, where we said that you know that the neocons are not just a movement uh, in the US, which has been important in relation to the Iraq conflict, but also have um, spread across the world. And the the, the, the signature neocon ideas about uh, about uh, Islam. Uh, and about the need to tackle extremism and the, the ideas about radicalization, all of which are neocon inflated, uh, had, have very markedly affected uh, um, public policy on counterterrorism, uh, on Islamophobia issues, etc., across across the continent in, in different ways at different, different times. So I, I got involved in studying the neocons then, and that, that was the first time when we published a report back in 2009, I think, 2000, maybe 2010, on um, neoconservative think tanks in the UK, Policy Exchange, uh, the Centre for Social Cohesion, which became what's now the most important neocon think tank in this country, the Henry Jackson Society, named after, of course, the the uh, Democratic Senator, Senator Henry Jackson. Um, and I was accused I was accused then of being an anti-Semite, and I uh, I was I was surprised. I was like, "Is this odd? Why are they? What's going on here?" And I, I was, I was like, obviously outraged as well because I'm, you know, I'm an anti-racist and I always have been, and um, um, that that really irritated me, and I couldn't quite understand it, and that's what provoked me, if you like, uh, and has kept me going on um, studying the Zionist movement. I never had studied it before, and it, it was only through that that I started to study the Zionist movement, and eventually we did stuff on, we did a report on Bicom, the 
um, uh, uh, British Israel Communications and Research Centre uh, in the UK, uh, and then we did some more work on neoconservatives, and we've done more work on them on the the EU Israel lobby. And since uh, in the last four, three or four years, I've been doing a lot more work on 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 the Israel lobby and Zionism, some of which was published in my uh, co-edited book, um, "What Is Islamophobia," where we said that that you know that one of the key we talked about the five pillars of Islamophobia, if you get the gag. Uh, and, uh, you know, the first pillar, the backbone of Islamophobia, we said, was the state's counterterrorism apparatus. But that there were four social movements uh, who extend and pressure the state to go further and uh, against um, the interests of Muslims as a, as a class. And those, those were the neocons. Yes, the far right, the counter-jihad movement, as it's called. Parts of the left, the pro-war left, some elements of the feminist movement, but also parts of the, the Zionist movement. And it was that which got me into trouble, um, first of all, when this whole uh, issue started uh, back in 2019. Uh, and maybe I'll stop there. That's, that, that's, that tells you how I got into this, and how I started to, to do the research. Uh, and I can tell you more about that if you want to know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the, and, and this happens, you know, to academics, um, here in the United States as well as is they expose the Israel lobby. They talk about Zionism as a racist ideology openly um, and they become a target and the Israel lobby wants to make an example of them um, by, you know, either trying to get them fired um, or, you know, and smearing them as, as an anti-Semite when it's completely absurd. Um, and, and, you know, and and sometimes they they get what they want, and it seems like they have tried to make an example out of you and to um, scare other academics and scholars into silence. Um, will you be silenced by this campaign? Is this changing who well, you are? Well, I think I think you you know the answer to that question. Of course not. <laughs> I mean, they, they, well, I mean, interestingly, isn't it? I mean, I, I this week I would be doing um, lectures and seminars on my core, my module on um, on terrorism, which I you know which I enjoyed doing. But uh, you know, not doing that means I have more time to focus on on my research and writing efforts, which I which because of the investigation of me in the last six to seven months, and indeed going stretching back for three years, it's been very difficult for me to. To, to speak out and I'll maybe come back to that. But, uh, it, I, you know, I absolutely will not be silenced. And uh, I, have, I have a lot, a ton of material, some of it ready to go and other stuff being being finished off. But I mean, maybe I could say a little bit about my understanding of, of, um, of Zionism, uh, because that might help to understand, to people to understand, you know, what why it is that they have been so keen on having a go at me. Uh, you know, just one of a number of people they're having a go at, but uh, they are keen. Uh, and uh, also, um, you know, what I think about the, the question of Zionism. I think one of the, the things which is, has become clear in this process is that that, um, that that it's necessary to talk about Zionism. Now, in the in the attack on the Jeremy Corbyn-led Labour Party, quite a number of people on the left said, you know, let's not use the Z word. Let's talk about something else. Let's just talk about Israel as the apartheid state. Uh, Zionism just is too complex a topic or it means different things to to different sorts of Jewish people uh, and it's not necessarily just a racist ideology it can have some kind of meaning and uh, if you do that you're going to alienate people etc and I, I you know I've listened to some of that and I get some of that but but actually you know the 
the research that we've done shows, um, and that this will not be a surprise to either of you, that you know that the Zionist movement is an actually existing set of organisations. Um, you know, it was set up in formally in 1897. The Zionist movement itself existed before that, but formally they set up in 1897, uh, and they created a number of organisations which. Uh, in, the, in the intervening couple of decades uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, which all of them of which exist today and which are the, the backbone of the transnational Zionist movement. Uh, and these are formally existing organisations which relate to each other, have formal relations with each other, both funding and organisational relations. And of course, the, the key one is the World Zionist Organisation, the most important uh, um, organisation in the Zionist movement. And there are three other organizations uh, um, which were created, the JNF, the Karen Hazard, uh, and um, uh, the Jewish Agency, which are the four. Uh, and, you know, as you know, they're called the national institutions in Israel, and they all, uh, they all live uh, in National Institutions House, one building in Jerusalem. Uh, this is not something which is made up by conspiracy theorists. This is the actuality of the situation, that there are, there, there are four, four uh, key bodies which are the, the, the head of the Zionist movement, and they're ruled by the, the, the um, periodically called Zionist Congress, the, the ultimate decision-making body of the movement. And that, this is their words, not mine. This is what they have on their websites. Now, all of those organizations have, uh, um, have either members or, uh, or offices or bodies associated with them in all the countries where the Zionist movement is uh, organized. In the UK, for example, the, uh, the, there's a GNF UK, there's a Karen Hazel branch, there's an office for the Jewish Agency, and more importantly, uh, uh, in terms of numbers of organisations, the Zionist Federation of the UK has 30 or 40 members, mainly less than it used to have, but, but 30 or 40 members, all of which are formerly members of the Zionist movement. Now, this is something which, you know, just is an organisational fact about the Zionist movement, and people don't understand that. They think that this is that they're, they're sort of they have some kind of loose relationship. No, they have formal relationships with each other. People don't are, do too many people don't do the reading. Yeah. They just they they. <laughs> it's, right. it, it, I find it really frustrating. You know, pe people um, on the left, like uh, Navarra Media kind of people, they don't they just don't do the reading. Like they 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 think they can talk about it, but they haven't actually um, done the research that it takes to understand this movement. Sure. I mean, so, so my point, I mean, I, I'm making this point in a rather long-winded way, so I'm sorry about that, but the, my point is that not just that, that this is an actually existing set of organisations, which it is, and not just that there are also a whole host of other pro-Israel groups which are not formally part of the Zionist movement, which are, are informally part of the Zionist movement, like something like the Community Security Trust or the Board of Deputies, uh, or the Jewish Leadership Council, all of which are not formally part of the Zionist movement, but you know, actually in practice are um, pro-Israel organizations, as everybody knows, and as everybody who reads the reports can tell. Um, I, my point really is that, that these are actually existing organizations which do particular political activities in the UK and you know, in the US and in Germany and France, et cetera, wherever the Zionist movement is organized. And that means that we're not just talking about the deeds of the Israeli government. We're not just talking about the, uh, the ethnic cleansing in Sheikh Jarrah or Silwan, uh, the, the assault on Gaza and the human rights abuses that everyone talks about, the, you know, the, the judgment about whether Israel is an apartheid state, which of course it is, or the question about whether it's a separate colonial society and whether science means racism. And of course, you know, everyone kind of knows what the answer to those questions 
uh, uh, are. But actually, the, 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 the power, uh, to the extent that it has power, and the influence of the Zionist movement is something which is, which is um, separate to, in a way, the, the activities of, the, of the, the Israeli government. It's not just the Israeli government which we've been condemning, it's the, the huge apparatus of the Zionist movement, which is active in this country, in the US and in other countries where the Zionist movement uh, is active. And that, that, that is something which needs to be, I've said this before, directly targeted. The, the, Zionism needs to be directly targeted wherever it is, and it's not just in Israel. Is elsewhere, and people shy away from that. They say, "Well, you can't be talking about that because that's somehow it relates to the Jews or something." And, it, and it, it, of course, it doesn't. I mean, this is a this is a political movement which has a particular set of political commitments, and and we have to we have to face that it plays a negative role in this country and in many other countries too. And it needs to be dismantled. Not just this, not just the, the the appalling crimes of the Israeli government, but the Zionist movement itself, which of course exists. Uh, and uh, the, the condition of its existence is that it helps to support and launder the image of, 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 uh, of the Israeli government's activities in the territories. In fact, not just to launder the image, but to directly participate in uh, the activities of the government in, in, in terms of settlements. The WZO has a settlement division. The GNF is involved in the expropriation of Palestinian land, uh, as everybody who's read anything about these things will know. So I think that what, the, what my work points to is the need politically to confront the Zionist movement wherever it raises its head. Uh, and that's an uncomfortable message for someone on the left. I mean, they, you know, they, they, the road to socialism in Britain, if there is such a thing, goes through the Zionist movement. It's not, it doesn't go around it, it goes through the Zionist movement. You can't, you can't go around the Zionist movement. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I remember when we first met David um, in 2011 in Birmingham during yeah. the Rad Salah appeal case um so for our viewers and listeners uh rad salah is a palestinian leader a palestinian citizen of israel um and uh to cut a long story short he i mean he he, he was the leader of the the uh of a branch of the islamic movement um and um he essentially what happened after years of targeting of him by the Israeli government, um, he his group was basically banned, and he's now in prison because of that. Um, but um, he he was a leader of um, activism, quite a lot, uh, mainly in Jerusalem, uh, of resisting uh, Israeli settlement activities and Israeli encroachment, um, especially uh, against. Uh, Islamic holy sites in Jerusalem, especially the, the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound. Um, and because he was such a powerful leader, he was targeted by the Israeli government because of that, for this kind of political uh, persecution. And as part of that, in 2011, he came to the UK um, and he came on uh, uh, basically a small tour. He did some speaking events. Um, and what happened was essentially when he came to the country, he was, uh, he was expelled um he was expelled by the country by uh the then um home secretary theresa may um and he appealed this and you acted as his um you acted as a a, a kind of witness for his defense essentially um and at the time what happened in the end was he he won that case you know he wasn't uh, he he was kept under house arrest for the better part of a year, 
but he was not expelled from the country and he, he did that to make a political point it wasn't you know he wasn't that he wanted to stay here as an asylum seeker he wanted to go back to his home in palestine but he didn't want to be expelled so that you know it could be that would then be used against him um in any sort of um when it when he went back to palestine the israeli authorities would use that against him and um one of you you've talked about the zionist movement there and the israel lobby and one of those um organizations which i know you've spoken of as being an informal part of the zionist movement is the cst the community security trust and they were um instrumental in getting brad salah um sort of banned by the um by the British government at the time, um, and they acted um, they acted in a really deceitful way because they they forwarded um, information on Rad Salah to the Home Office, which included outright fabrication. You know, there, there was a, there was a, a poem of his uh, that he'd written, which they or somebody altered to yeah. insert the word you Jews to yeah. make it look like a, an anti-Jewish poem, yeah. where actually, if you looked at the, the original poem itself, um, it was a poem about um, condemning Israeli atrocities and Israeli bombings of uh, mosques and so forth. Um, so this is a, a long question to ask you. Uh, do you think the CST is basically holding a grudge against you um, <laughs> all this time? <laughs> because uh, we we know that they've been involved in this in this more recent campaign against you. Well, of course. I mean, that's part of the this is part of the story, isn't it? I mean, the the this this the story of Salah. I mean, I was I was an expert witness for the defence, and so I provided uh, evidence on the CST and its uh, inability or unwillingness to tell the difference between anti-Semitism uh, and um, uh, anti-Zionism, and of course, it provided evidence which uh, you know, including. Uh, uh, evidence on anti-Zionist Jews uh, and others, and, and false evidence, uh, as it turned out, to uh, to the Home Office and the Border Agency, which, as you say, directly resulted in um, the the order being issued that he wasn't allowed to come into the country. Now he he had come into the country anyhow the previous day, and they they missed him, and they were a bit embarrassed about that. But I, I just want to say one other thing about that, which was that the this issue came to the attention of the Home Office, as we saw in the documents. I think you probably saw the documents as well, the legal documents. This came to the attention of the border agency and of the Home Office by a post on Harry's place, the Islamophobic blog. Now, quite often I hear people on the left say, well, Harry's place is just a kind of, you know, horrible blog and you might not like right. it, but it, it doesn't have any effect. It's, you know, it's just daft people uh, saying horrible stuff. And yeah, that's true. It is daft people saying horrible stuff. Uh, racist stuff about Muslims, especially, but it, it, this is how it works. Like this kind of stuff, you know, Guido, Harry's Place, the far right blogs, is taken up by actually existing civil servants and passed on and, and actioned uh, as effectively as, as intelligence. And it was that was what was what brought the, the issue to the attention of the, the border agency. They then approached the CST, and the CST provided them uh, with information which uh, which was distorted and included, uh, as you said, fabrications. And that, that revealed to us, I think, at the time, um, something about the CST, which um, I mean, I think if, if I look back at my, my witness statement at the time, we knew that, that, that there was something wrong with the CST. We knew that they were engaged effectively in spying on the Palestinian solidarity movement and indeed on anti-Zionist Jews. And I quoted in my, my statement uh, the, the examples from 
Jewish anti-Zionist groups who've been manhandled and removed from events by CST's thugs. Uh, and so we knew some of that stuff, but we didn't know, I think, how far that went. And we didn't, I think, I think you revealed in some of your reporting, actually, at the time, its links with Mossad and uh, and the like. And, and that was very important, I think, to, to start to understand the, the CST in that way. And uh, I think now my understanding of the CST uh, has been... Uh, enhanced by understanding what's happened, what happened in the US from the 1940s, almost actually from before the 1940s, with the experience of the the, the obvious comparator um, organisation in the US, which of course is the uh, the Anti Defamation League, which does almost exactly the same thing as the CST does here. It, it's of course been involved since the 1940s and been pursuing this idea of a new anti-Semitism that Arabs or anti-Semites. You know, before the, the creation of the state of Israel, and, and at the time, uh, at the time of McCarthyism and the House Un-American Activities Committee's uh, inquiries, was engaged in providing intelligence to the to the FBI and indeed, of course, to to the forerunner of the Mossad before it was created, and then afterwards directly to Mossad. And this is well known that they, this is what they do. And one one sees the the CST in very much the same role uh, here as having connections with Mossad, as you as you reported, uh, and also. Well, very close connections with the with the police and the uh, the uh, security services in this country. And one of the things that you can see that they've done uh, uh, is to attack people who are supporters of Palestine uh, and to attack anti-Zionist Jews. I mean, and you've, you've said that already, and that that's an important thing to to say that they they're, they're effectively an intelligence agency uh, gathering material to use against their their enemies. But I think that well, the thing, the other thing we don't realise and haven't recognised as much as perhaps we should is that that the, I mean, the, the reason that they had this contact with Mossad was, which is revealed, I think, by Tony Lerman, uh, um, who, whose um, uh, memoir on the making and unmaking of Zionist is you know, uh, recommended reading for everyone who wants to understand Zionism, uh, was that they had a, a role with with Mossad in the uh, the discussions in the early part of the two thousands about um, how to combat anti-Semitism worldwide. And there was a coordinating forum uh, against anti-Semitism, which was an Israeli government body, which Shulansky was involved in at the time. And then, of course, they set up um, the Global Forum for Combating Anti-Semitism. And and this coordinating forum was an Israeli government body, but it also had the World Jewish Congress, it had the ADL, and it had the CST involved in it. And this this was the place where they came up with the idea that they would focus especially on blurring together anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. And that led, you know, ineluctably and inexorably to the uh, EUMC definition, working definition of anti-Semitism in 2004. Uh, and then, of course, when that failed as a, as a strategy to, you know, lodging it with the IHRA uh, in order that they could, you know, uh, that they then in 2016, wasn't it, emerged weapon in hand to take on uh, Corbyn. So the, the CST has been very, it's been core to all of that as well. I, that is to core to actively pursuing and helping the interests of the Israeli state. Now it says, you know, in its defence, we are a British Jewish organisation, we've got nothing to do with Israel. That's a lie. Uh, and uh, everyone should know that. And people, I think, on the left don't, aren't, don't, don't appreciate that. That's a, that's a lie. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I'd be very happy for the CST to to sue me if they wanted to over that, and uh, they know where I am, so they can come and get me. So yes, the CST, of course, have had uh, have had some animus against me. We've had um, uh, the occasional 
uh, um, interaction on Twitter uh, and the like. Uh, they don't really like to go into detail because when they get to the detail, they kind of can't really justify what they're doing. But but, but there we are. Yes, and they they they, they um, complained about me. So I I started. Um, my career is that I started at the University of Glasgow, I went to the University of Stirling for 10 years, then University of Strathclyde in Glasgow for eight years, then University of Bath um, uh, until two th- from 2012 to 2018. And I got the job in Bristol in 2018. I started there in September. And in the February, I gave a lecture for this course that I've been asked to teach called Harms of the Powerful, uh, which is about state crimes and, uh, uh, and about corporate crime. And one of the lectures I gave was about Islamophobia, and I talked about this notion of the five pillars of Islamophobia, where part of one of the, one of the pillars is parts of the Zionist movement. And I, I phrased it like that. We phrased it like that because we were we were focusing entirely at that stage on the the concrete ways in which Zionist funders were engaged in funding key Islamophobic organisations, meaning both neoconservative think tanks. But also elements of the far right. So we, you know, we know, for example, the funding that's gone through the Middle East Forum in, in the US to Tony Robinson's legal fees, etc. Those kinds of uh, funding connections, which you know, which are well known if you look. Uh, and so I talked about about that, the parts of the Zionist movement, and the CST objected to this. They they wrote in, they got a, co- a copy of uh, one of the slides or some of the, some of the slides and from a presentation from a couple of students who uh, contacted them anonymously. And they wrote in saying that um, that I was an anti-Semite, uh, but also um, that they they were really very cross that that they claimed that I had referred to them as being uh, part of the Zionist movement, which is Islamophobic. Now I, I had no, done no such thing, and at that stage of the argument, I was I was saying nothing at all about the CST in relation to Islamophobia. Now I might say something more about it now, um, but but at the time, all we were talking about was the was the empirical research we had at the time. Uh, of the Zionist funders who funded, who have funded uh, um, well-known Islamophobic organizations in this country and in many other countries too. We then went on to, to do more research where we looked, um, and Sarah Marisek published some of this work, uh, I think, which is excellent, and Hilary Akhed has done the same thing. Uh, I've done bits and pieces of it as well, where we found that many of the, the Zionist funders who had funded Islamophobia uh, and Islamophobic activities well, had also, you know, big surprise, funded the settlements in, in the West Bank directly. So they funded um, the specific settlements. I mean, there's a lot of money going from both Britain and the US to specific settlements. They'd funded the, the infrastructure of occupation through the IDF. Uh, in, the, in the US, it's called the Friends of the IDF. In the, in the uh, UK, it's called the Friends of the Association for the Wellbeing of Israel Soldiers, right? <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's tons of money going there. And then, of course, they fund also um, some of the national institutions, the JNF, uh, the, 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 uh, the WZO, uh, et cetera. Uh, and then, of course, also um, NGOs, which are involved directly in settlement activity uh, in East Jerusalem, such as, such as for example, uh, as you both know, the Jerusalem Foundation, tons of money going into that, which is engaged in, you know, effectively illegal activities uh, um, uh, across the Green Line. So we started by saying some of the Zionist funders are funding um, Islamophobia. And then we said, look, quite a lot of them are also funding uh, illegal settlements. Uh, and the CST didn't like this at all and, and wanted, us, wanted me to say that I 
that I was wrong and that, that the CST was not Islamophobic. And that, of course, I wasn't saying that they were Islamophobic. All I was saying was, you know, if part, these are the parts of the Zionist movement which are involved in, uh, in funding Islamophobia, but, they, but more generally, this is what the Zionist movement is. And, and, that, and they, were, they got that confused because they, they read the slides uh, and they conjectured what I must, I must be saying and tried to get me sacked as a result. And, and effectively, the, the complaint against them was thrown out straight away because they didn't have any locus. They were a third party organization. They're not students. They, uh, they, they were said that the students themselves could complain even anonymously if they wanted to. The students didn't want to, apparently. Uh, and so that complaint was kicked out. So the CST then, uh, and let's remember uh, that, uh, that they don't like the idea that we say that they work together. But the CST then approached the Union of Jewish Students in London, which is the umbrella body. It's like Hillel in, in, in the US. In fact, the formal organization which runs the UGS is called the B'nai B'rith Hillel Foundation uh, in the US. So you can see its, uh, its origins. Uh, and the, the UGS is the umbrella body for all the local um, Jewish societies, um, sometimes called Israel societies, on campuses throughout the UK. And they approached the UGS and said, look, you know, do you fancy writing a letter to complain about this Miller chap? And they said, yep, yep, we'll do that. They wrote the letter and they <laughs> ring, rang up the uh, or emailed the, uh, the president of the Bristol JSOC and got her to put her name to it as well. Uh, um, and uh, they then sent the complaint in and that was accepted because she was a student. It wasn't accept, accepted. The UGS can't complain, but the, she was. It was accepted because she was a student. And if you and if you look back at this, I mean, uh, one day uh, this will all become public, I guess. But uh, if you look back at the, the letter that they, they sent in in complaint, remember I'd started in September two thousand eighteen. The lecture was in February two thousand nineteen. In April they made made their complaint, and they complained about five things that I had said or written. Uh, one of them had, ha had happened after September 2018, i.e. when I was in post in Bristol. All the rest had been uh, bef from before that. And one uh, they, they complained about was from 2013. It was a, an article we'd written about the Zionist movement in 2013, which they complained about. Now, of course, th this is preposterous. They, you know, they can't be complaining about stuff which I'd written five years before I'd started working there. And none of the stuff was to do with, with, with my work at, at Bristol. I mean, it was all to do with public statements outside my, my work at Bristol and, you know, the policies of the university would have had no locus. And in any case, it was a breach of the policies because a, a complaint is supposed to be taken within 90 days of the, the behaviour complained of. And none of it was within 90 days. And so the, the complaint was accepted. And then the university had meetings with the president of the JSOC, at which UGS and CST people were present, uh, um, incidentally, uh, I mean, extraordinarily, uh, and the university encouraged them to, to submit more evidence. And, they, and they, the, the single piece of, of evidence that they submitted, which was within the 90 days, and which did relate to my teaching practice, uh, was a, an essay question that I had, um, I had set for the Harms of the Powerful course. And the essay question was on uh, the, 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 the students were asked to, have, to give a critical analysis of the extent to which corporate lobbying was a form of corporate harm. And it was submitted that this, while it didn't express any anti-Semitic tropes, might invite anti-Semitic tropes by way of answer. <laughs> Uh, that's, and, uh, I mean, that's that's a bit like when they accused uh, Jeremy Corbyn of anti-Semitism because he had criticised banks. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm, it's I'm like my, you're, my, my the person saying it. that has more questions to answer about anti-Semitism, <laughs> I think. Yes. So, so that complaint came in, and that was rejected by, by the university at the first stage um, because it was, you know, manifestly ridiculous. And then, I mean, and then, I mean, just I'll try and get through this quickly. But then they appealed, and the university then said to them, "Well, well, would you like to stop your appeal just now for a minute while we decide whether we introduce the IHRA definition?" And they said, "Oh, yes, we'll do that. Thank you very much." And then they lobbied, the JSOC lobbied for the IHRA definition to be brought in. The university was going to just take, adopt the definition and not the examples. They had a demo outside of 15 kids and the university crumpled and adopted the full definition with all the examples. And then they reactivated the complaint in January 2020 uh, under the new rules. So they changed the rules and that was you know, apparently deemed uh, fair. But even, even after that, when they appointed a QC to investigate me, uh, um, the QC found that uh, I, I'm, I, that none of my comments had engaged had gone anywhere near the question of anti-Semitism or racism against Jews or, uh, or harassment or any, any of the other or breach of the Equality Act. All those things. Very very clear, total exoneration. Uh, and that was that was um, a report which um, was submitted in December 2020, and the university then decided it was going to think about publishing that, and it produced a shortened version of that. Uh, and uh, then um, I gave a talk on the 13th of February, which, where I talked about having been attacked and complained about, and that's the words I used, by the JSOC and by the UJS. And that's when uh, there was a big reaction to that statement. And the university then decided it wasn't going to publish this report. So it, I was in that position of being accused of anti-Semitism for my comments about being attacked and complained about, which is simply, of course, a factual statement. Uh, and I wasn't able to say, well, actually, I've been entirely exonerated. I and mean, this is just absurd. So I was, I was forced not to refer to this report, uh, which was you know, completely unfair and meant that, that it was open season on me. And uh, that, uh, you know, any number of, of organizations, Zionist organizations, and if you, if you count the numbers that, that, that did this, there's like something like 15 or 16 different Zionist organizations, m- probably many more than most people know exist in the country. Uh, who complained about me uh, and uh, you know the APPG on anti-Semitism that's the all-party parliamentary group the Zionist Federation the JLC the CST uh, etc etc and uh, I was I was fighting back against this with one arm, one arm behind my back and then after I made, I made several statements in response to the press and wrote an article for Electronic Intifada my first article for Electronic Intifada um, then uh, I, I was not, I was put under investigation by the university um, for my statements, so I was unable to, to make any statements. You were you were put was, under investigation by the university because you'd written an article for us. That's part of the reason, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Wow. I mean, they were looking for anything at this point. Well, I mean, the, the, it the sounds story. like collusion. Like the university, it sounds to me like the university colluded with the Israel lobby against you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I would put that construction on it straightforwardly. I, I mean, they, they don't have any conception that um, I've been subjected to effectively two years, by that stage, two years of harassment, bullying, and intimidation, uh, in, in, which, you know, which would breach the university's own guidelines on, on harassment and bullying and which you know, could have been turned into a complaint. And so, I mean, I raised the issue of Kathleen Stock here um, because I see that she is a philosophy professor who has had um, what we might call gender-critical views. And 
uh, the university has defended her academic freedom and said that uh, that some of the, the uh, uh, activities against her has amounted to a campaign of harassment and bullying, uh, which has included um, calls for her to be sacked. Well, the, the University of Bristol could well have in instituted a, an inquiry into the, 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 the activities which were targeted against me, which was one, that they were calling for me to sack, be sacked, and two, they were defaming me by calling me an anti-Semite, which, you know, which the university already knew was false because they had a, they hired an expensive QC to uh, to determine that and they, they, they knew the results of that but that's not how the university decided to to respond it's instead tried to ignore the the campaign of, uh, of harassment and intimidation and tried to to focus just on the the words that I said in in February as 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 um the, the full amount of, of the, uh, the the crimes that I am supposed to answer for yeah, so you've mentioned that the report from the QC, um, the report from the lawyer that the university mentioned in its, um, the university mentioned in its statement in which it fired you. It, it said that um, that uh, a report from uh, the QC found that you had not said anything illegal. Um, but, I mean, you've said to me that, and you've said again today, that it's uh, it went, actually went further than that and that um, it actually exonerated you of anti-Semitism. Um, the university hasn't released that document so you're saying the fact that they haven't released it is is because simply that it exonerated you and they didn't want they didn't want that to well i mean known. there are some things that i'm not i can't i'm not at liberty to say i mean actually i'm not really at liberty to say that the report exonerated me of anti-semitism but i i've decided that i will be saying that because there is a public interest in me saying that because the university have given an account of what's in the report, which is not accurate mm. uh, in the sense that it says uh, only that I've been cleared of making unlawful statements. Of course. So you, you have know. seen that report then? Yes. Now, and let, let, let me be clear as well. You, you mentioned uh, a report, but there isn't just one report. There are two reports. So that when I was talking about the report submitted in December, this is a set, totally separate report from the report which was produced as a result of or after the, the statements I made in February. So there are two separate reports by QC. By QC. Uh, both of them entirely exonerate me, specifically of anti-Semitism and specifically of the question of harassment under the Equality Act 2010. So this is not just a question of my statements being uh, being lawful, but but, but specifically of, of there being no case to answer in terms of, of anti-Semitism, and that and that's you know quite important for me for my for my reputation. But the the, the problem, of course, is that people can't see these reports that they they are they remain secret. The university has refused to, to release them. Uh, and they, they've refused even to tell the truth about what's in the, those reports, even to ex admit the existence of the first report and to tell the truth about what's in the second report. You mentioned as well um, the article that you wrote for us. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that I ain't got you into trouble. <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was an excellent article, uh, and in, in that article in February, you wrote for us that, quote, Britain is in the grip of an assault on its public sphere by the state of Israel and its advocates, unquote. 
Um, and I think it's fair to say that some of the left accused you of exaggerating. Um, <laughs> but this month, um, the when you were fired, the Jewish Chronicle, which is Britain's leading anti-Palestinian newspaper, they welcome your sacking with a front page story, but they weren't gleeful. They sort of refused to accept yes for an answer. And they're demanding more. And so the, the the front page story is, quote, Miller is gone, but he is only the tip of the iceberg. Um, and the story listed some of the academics that have supported you at uh, 74 separate British higher education bodies. Um, and it, 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 it talks about more than 200 um, academics who've committed this terrible crime of signing a statement in support of you and your right to express your views against Zionism, Israel's settler colonial uh, racist ideology. Um, so the paper's editorial also argued that, quote, Miller's sake should be the beginning and not the end. So, you know, I mean, it looks to me like the Israel lobby is mounting a full-blown attack on British universities. And, you know, it really bears out what you wrote for us in the article about an assault on the public sphere by the state of israel um so like it, i mean it, it looks to me like a full-on it, it's an attempt to mount a full-on purge of british universities i mean i mean i i don't want to exaggerate like i, I don't think they're going to be successful in getting everyone out they wanted to and it took you know they're complaining because it took them so long to get rid of you right they say the, the jewish chronicle is saying oh we shouldn't we shouldn't uh, accept this because um you know bristol has acted terribly because it took them you know the best part of a year to get rid of you or two years or however whenever they're dating it from um so you know I guess what I'm asking you is what do you think we can do to resist it? Like how, how successful, like how much, how much of a victory is there, is this for them? And like, how successful are they going to be in attempting to purge British universities? Do you think? Well, I mean, as let's Nora be realistic. As Nora mentioned at the beginning, this is something which is not unheard of in the U S uh, and, you know, there's lots of examples. I mean, we can go back to Norman Finkelstein, but before Joseph Passad, Steve Salaita, Mark Lamont Hill, uh, you know, and a ca full cast of others. And there's been many stories in the, in the press in the last couple of months alone in Canada and in the U S this is unprecedented in the UK. It's never happened before that any right. lobby group has managed to, of any kind has managed to get rid of a member of staff who's a, a, a fully fledged, uh, you know, Professor, but they have managed to stop an academic conference. Oh, they've managed to do lots of things like that. Yeah, but this is yeah. this is unprecedented, right? So, yeah, definitely. But, but it's not. It's not. It's, I'm not alone. So I mean, while they've you know decided to target me, they don't like what what the kind of things that I say and the research that I do and the, the facts that I find out. They're doing um, elsewhere, and I, I was involved in a in a meeting um, two nights ago. Um, uh, where it became apparent that um, there have been, I think it was said, 30 complaints at the University of Warwick uh, against something like 25 separate members of staff and students um, by um, UGS, JSOC related people. 
And that's a huge uh, assault on the University of Warwick, which had previously been through a, 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 another complaint some years ago against Goldie Asuri, which is a matter of public record. And so that's another example. There are cases in other universities, uh, some of which I'm not aware of, and I've only just heard about in the last few days. But I know of cases in Birmingham, in Edinburgh, in Glasgow, in Leeds, uh, and in other places too, where people have been complained about. Some of them have been complained about simply for tweeting in support of me. Uh, and of course, there have been a whole set of trolls set to work uh, on everyone who signed letters in support of me, such that there's, a, there's a, uh, a Twitter account called Tony Ben University, it's changed its name now, an anonymous Twitter account, which is effectively called for um, everyone who's signed um, uh, letters in support of me to be sacked. And that, that, this is a disgraceful uh, assault on academic freedom and, uh, and, you know, attempt to intimidate uh, members of staff from speaking out or from even from holding views uh, and expressing them in public about Palestine. So this is a this is a serious attack on academic freedom and on academics, but it's not only, I mean, that you, the quote you gave there was about the public sphere. I wasn't just talking about the universities, I'm talking about the schools, I'm talking about trade unions, I'm talking about local government. You know, it's the whole of the public sphere that they're, they're going for. You know, we saw earlier this year in May with the assault on Gaza, uh, you know, when the settler colonialism laid bare before everyone's eyes in the world. And the, the schools, people in the schools in this country were, kids were outraged and wanted to do things. They wanted to raise money for the Palestinians or they wanted to uh, demonstrate and support the Palestinians or they wanted to to discuss the, the, the question in, in class. And, you know, that time after time, schools reacted in a way which tried to shut down debate. So, you know, there was viral footage going around of kids walking out of school with Palestinian flags, or there was a stories of, of a, a video footage of, of teachers, you know, appallingly telling kids off for wanting to raise the issue uh, and accusing them of anti-Semitism on no evidence. And there's the, even a case, wasn't there, of a, of a teacher or a school insisting that the money shouldn't go to the Palestinians, but should be divided between Israel and the Palestinians, you know, I mean, truly, truly extraordinary. So the Crazy. schools is part of that as well. And, and we see an assault by, uh, backed up by the by government. So the, the government have uh, tried to uh, uh, write to the, after written to the university several times, Robert Jenner did that, uh, others did too, to try and have me sacked. But they've been doing the same with schools. Will, Gavin Williamson, when he was education secretary, wrote to all schools, uh, asking them to have balanced debates on Israel and Palestine and um, suggesting three organisations that the that schools should bring in to, to uh, have these debates. CST, of course, was one of them, uh, and, but two others were organisations, which are you know, both of which are Zionist organisations, and that one of them has direct contacts and, and overlapping membership with uh, the IDF and the Israeli government. I mean, truly extraordinary. So th this is an assault on all uh, the public sphere. It's not just happening in this country. It's been happening as nor knows too well in the US, but also in, in France and Germany. I mean, there've been similar, similar processes. Uh, they, they sort of tried out what they tried against Corbyn in France and Germany first. Uh, the assault on Die Linke in, in Germany and the assault on, uh, on candidates, even candidates from right-wing parties in France who had to withdraw after they made statements about Palestine or BDS, which didn't meet the approval of the local affiliate of the Zionist movement in, in France. So the, the, this is a, a very serious attempt to constrain public debate. And the reason they're doing this is because they feel threatened because overwhelmingly public opinion in the world, including Jewish public opinion, is moving in the other direction, away from supporting uh, what happens in Israel 
and what the issue was doing to the Palestinians. So they 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 are they are feel they feel threatened, and they feel the only thing they can do is to intimidate people from speaking out and to have them sacked to to stop people from speaking out. You saw, you know, we see that the Labour Party um, under Keir Starmer uh, and the Labour Party leadership um, elections after Corbyn went, and they all of the candidates agreed to the Board of Deputies' ridiculous ten-point program, which is a a, a charter for the intimidation of the of the, the party and that's been very very successful but nevertheless and they still, all agreed that they were zionists they were they all yeah, agreed yeah. they I mean, all agreed that they all said oh yeah i'm yeah. a zionist i was sorry except for keir starmer who said he was a supporter yeah. of zionism without qualification but yet at the same time even though lots of people thousands of people have left the party are being spelled uh um and of course i've left as well um they the 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 conference just the other day uh, overwhelmingly passed, uh, you know, reasonably um, uh, decent pro-Palestinian motion, uh, talking about Israel as an apartheid state, talking about um, boycott, divestment, sanctions, etc. And so, public opinion moves one direction, while at, at the, the elite level, which is what they're trying to do, the, they intimidate, uh, and they've, they've captured the Labour Party. They're trying to capture uh, academia, and uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. That they've got no chance of of going further because they, they have got a chance of going further. But the question is when people are have the confidence and institutions as a result of that have the confidence to fight back and to say no to this. And I, I, I think we're we're in the we're in the foothills of this. This is the beginning, as as the GC says. This is the beginning, uh, and they think that that uh, it's going to go all their way. I'm afraid it's not, um, and uh, we we will win this, but we, it might take us a little while to win this. I, I mean, personally speaking, you know, I I will yeah. be part of the winning of this. Uh, um, I have been doing a lot of research over the last three years. Um, I have a lot of research ready to publish, um, and uh, there's much more coming on on the settlements, on the Zionist movement itself, uh, on the, the way in which it infiltrates uh, different areas of uh, of public debate. I mean, for example, in the interfaith industry, we've we are doing, doing, been doing a lot of work on that. And I know people on the left have, sort of, have smirked a bit at this. Oh, he thinks that even chicken soup is a Zionist plot uh, when, uh, uh, when a Zionist organisation, uh, interfaith organisation, went into East London Mosque uh, and cooked ch- uh, chicken soup. Now, but I mean, you know, the thing is, it is a Zionist plot. I mean, this is a Zionist organisation <laughs> trying to infiltrate the British Muslim community and yeah. to capture them and to normalise Zionism within... Yeah. Uh, the British Muslim community, to, because they, they because they recognise and they're, they're right to recognise that the Muslim community uh, is a threat to uh, to Israel's policies because the because the Muslim people. I mean, you know what happened in this country, uh, and it's also true in other countries, but in this country especially, uh, after the invasion of Iraq and in the run up to and after the invasion of Iraq, we had a a movement on the streets in this country which united the left, the radical left. Uh, and the Muslim community in a way we should never happen before. And, and you know, I, I want to, I would, you know, whenever I talk about this, I want to give all credit to the people in the start of the war uh, and in the Muslim Association of Britain who who made that breakthrough. And when it was Mab really who did it. And uh, if you look back at the history books, you can see that Mab said, "Look, this demonstration has got to be about Palestine." And and some of the people uh, in the rest of the start of the war, you know, people who for whom we all should have the most time and respect for Lindsay and John and, and Chris Nynham, etc. They they weren't necessarily keen on this, and uh, and it, it won the day, and it was the it was the right decision, and that was the moment where where a new movement emerged, where where it became apparent that the left could work with Muslims, that that we that we could be a united front, and that really terrified 
uh, the, those the denizens of the, of the British secret state, and indeed the Zionist movement, because and that of course you know that's, that's why they focus in particular on on, on their two obsessions, uh, which is left wing anti semitism and Islamic anti semitism, and these are these are the things which are entirely uh, are concocted out of their imagination. Um, uh, uh, not sorry, not just their imagination, concocted out of their imagination, and a long period of of concrete planning through the global forum and countering, uh, uh, for countering anti-Semitism, where and you can, if you look back at the, the, those events, uh, the conferences started in 2007, they, they, they make, set it out very clearly what they're gonna do, how they're gonna target Muslims, how they're gonna target the left, how they're gonna target Europe or Latin America, or whatever. I and mean, there's a lot of material in those, those, uh, those uh, papers from that, those conferences, much of which of course is available for uh, all you budding researchers on uh, the internet archive. Uh, and that, that's, they've spent a lot of time and effort doing that. They want, they want to promote this idea of the, the red-green conspiracy theory, which they, they like, which the, some of the French intellectuals are, are into. Not Bat Yor, of course, her Eurabia thesis that the Muslims are going to take over Europe and, uh, you know, we, we can't do that. We have to defend against the Muslims because they're going to outbreed us, etc. And that's that stuff which comes, you know, from a, from a Zionist conception of, of the world. Bat Yor, of course, was herself a, an asset of, uh, of Mossad. Uh, along with her, her husband David Lippmann, uh, involved in in, um, in um, the evacuation of Jews from from Egypt back in the day. So I mean, this is a this is a a long term uh, strategy for them, and we shouldn't be scared of pointing it out if we can show that it's the case. Which uh, when you do research, you can. Uh, and and that, that, I mean, I, I, just to, to, re, to reiterate this, I, this is how I come. I come to this from not from the point of view that. Zionists must be bad, theoretically. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to theory. I, you know, I make use of theory, but I come to this from empirical research, and and you know, you follow the thread, you follow who does what, what the context of this is, and then, and you put that together into a, a better understanding of the world. And once once you do that, you start to see a whole load of things which people are not aware of. And I, I saw a, quite a nice article today by Mike Wayne. Uh, for counterfire, defending the, the idea that people should do research and might come up with things in the research which people find shocking because they don't know them. And, and yet, and yet I, I find lots of things which are shocking. And sometimes when I say to people about them, they are shocked because they don't know. And they think, oh, well, he must be just making this up. He, he, I saw someone the other day tweeting about me saying, oh, well, his, his research is not evidence-based. Well, I'm like, well, you know, of anyone who's doing research on this issue, you know, you, I, I'm not the one you can say that of. You know, if, if there is anyone who's, who's not doing evidence-based research, I don't know who, the, who they are, but certainly I'm not. And uh, all, all of the stuff I've been saying is evidence-based. And if you want me, me to give you the sources, I can give them to you. I can po point you to the, the sources. And that, that's the thing which they, they find very difficult to deal with. I mean, the criticisms I've had from all of these organizations, from the CST, from, from many others, these are criticisms which never engage in the, the factual questions. Never. Never challenge the factual questions. When people say to me, oh, well, you shouldn't have said that the UGS is a Zionist organization. And I say, well, what, why is that? Um, the reason I say it's a Zionist organization is because it is. It's formally a member of the Zionist movement. In, in this structure I, I, I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's constitution um, uh, requires it to be pro-Israel. It's a member of the World Union of Jewish Students, which it, which it has an executive seat reserved, which of course is a member of the WZO, and they can send delegates to the world to the Zionist Congress. And even more than that, its, it's core funding comes from the United Jewish Israel Appeal, the main fundraising body for Israel in the UK, which of course has 
many people won't know, is the UK affiliate of Karen Hazel, one of the four national institutions based in, in, uh, in National Institutions House in Israel. Now, all this stuff sounds com complicated and there's lots of different organisations and it's difficult to get your head around. Yeah, I, I get that. But, you know, these things are facts. Yeah. David, we only have a couple minutes left. Um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, the appeal and how people can support you. But, but first, before you answer that, if you could talk a little bit about what your advice would be and and is for other scholars, you know, students, activists um, who are facing threats and smear campaigns by the Israel lobby and the Zionist movements. Um, what what is your advice to them as they as you know they see what's happening to you? Well, I mean, it, it, it'd be foolish of me to say you know do what I did because they look look where look where I ended, but <laughs> but 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 you know that. In the end, we, we all we have to defend ourselves is the truth, and we have, and you know, we need to be telling the truth and showing the evidence that it is the truth. That means us writing, writing and debating more. And I think I think there are debates to be had on the left as well. You know, about about the extent to which, you know, we we should confine our talk about Israel to the apartheid regime of Israel or settler colonialism or Zionism being racism. But I, you know, I, I think that it's, it's very important that we understand that the Zionism is a, an actually existing thing happening in our politics, uh, uh, and it's and it will continue to do so unless until unless we uh, we uh, to, uh, to use the words that are used on the University of Bristol uh, statement about the Black Lives Matter protests until we eradicate and dismantle racism, uh, which means of course eradicating and dismantling Zionism as an ideology. And, and just to be clear about that, I'm not suggesting dismantling. Zionism as an ideology uh, in, in the sense of, of, of uh, physical violence. I'm talking about the, the ideas, how the conditions uh, under, underlying the, the existence of Zionism as an ideology. In the same way as that we, we talked about uh, dis, you know, dismantling apartheid. That's, you, the ideology of apartheid is more or less gone now. The ideology of, of Protestant supremacism in, in the 26 counties, the south of Ireland, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, 70 or 80 years ago, it was a very strong uh, ideology. It only exists in the North still, because, uh, let's not get into the, the North Northern question, but you know the, 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 this is about dismantling an ideology. And the, that is the same way as we would talk about dismantling racism. Racism is not just a set of ideas. It has, it has material forms and the practices it, 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 that, that, it, that it requires and that it, it uses to reproduce itself. If you want to dismantle Islamophobia as a form of racism, you have to dismantle the counter-terrorism apparatus. And just, just in the same way, you, if you want to dismantle and eradicate Zionism, you have to dismantle the apparatus which puts it in place, and that's the organisations uh, uh, which, which do that. So yes, that's what I would say. I would say you know we have we have to defend ourselves with with the truth and by doing more evidence based research, I will do more of that. But you know I I want other people to be involved in it. There are lots of other people doing research like this. Let's let's get that research out there, uh, and uh, let's uh, you know uh, reassure those bodies who who can defend us, the trade unions, or, and indeed the the universities that they can they can make statements like the University of Sussex has made. In relation to uh, the question of, uh, of gender critical philosopher, uh, and that that would be appropriate. I mean, it, it does mean that you have to you have to say you know that these are not just Jewish student groups, groups of Jewish students. They are 
these are groups which have a particular political agenda and we ought to we need to understand that otherwise you know it will, all, all that will happen is they will they will say around the country oh i'm hurt by someone saying something anti-zionist and that's not that's not good enough that's not it's not a way to to move towards a proper debate about uh, israel and palestine and give us the info on uh, the support David Miller campaign and what you know what the next step is. So the next step for me is, is an appeal uh, in the university process, and then uh, after that, uh, if that fails, then uh, there's an employment tribunal, and there are other potential legal avenues which I'm uh, exploring with uh, with my legal advisors. Um, the support Miller campaign is at supportmiller.org, and you can. Uh, Go and have a look at the material there, and there are things that you can do. Uh, of course, there's that petition that's flying around with the 20 odd thousand uh, signatories. I think that's kind of quite, uh, it's quite dramatic the number of people who've signed that, especially compared to, for example, the petitions from earlier in the year, which were calling for me to be sacked, which had less than half of that, that, that number, and we're only at the stage of, of it still increasing. So there's, lo there's lots of things people can do, um, and I, you know, I'm more than happy to help people to, to, to uh, work out what, what the best thing to do is. And they can contact me on uh, on the, the my email, which is uh, available online. Well, thanks for joining us on the Electronic Intifada podcast, David. Thank you. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for watching this video. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit like. Leave a comment. These engagements help us with the YouTube algorithm and it helps us to get around Silicon Valley censorship as much as possible. It does make a difference. You can also support our journalism by going to electronicintifada.net and clicking on donate now. Thank you.